Lord, we could stand and sing forever of what Your blood has accomplished on our behalf. It's wiped away all our sins. We've been saved to sin no more. Thank You, Christ, for the freedom that You have bought. We thank You also for Your Word that gives us instruction and that encourages us and gives us light. We pray that You would give us more light as we look at these passages that we might see all of the glory that You have you've revealed in your word give assistance to us spirit to understand and also to know how to apply these complicated truths help us to worship bring about worship through your word and even through these chapters it's what we long for it's what we want for your name to be praised And to treasure you more and more each day. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, imagine instead of going to your usual job this this week, that you instead had to clean a sewer or a septic tank. Reality is hundreds of thousands of people do this as their job on a daily basis. The Dalits in India, as a part of being in the lowest caste, have to find jobs like these. It's not by choice, but it's just by how they were born. Imagine just what it would be like coming home each day covered in human filth. Have you ever been covered in grime? Maybe just dirt, mud, or maybe some of you have had to clean human filth. You... You felt so dirty, you you couldn't wait to get home and take a shower. Or maybe you even wanted to burn the very clothes that had that filth on it. Have you ever felt spiritually dirty? Have you ever felt spiritually dirty? You ever felt so unclean for something that you said or something that you did or something that you thought that you seriously wondered if God could actually forgive you for that? Have you ever felt so spiritually defiled that you didn't even want to be around another person? Lest you infect them with your defilement. 
Or maybe it was just that you just didn't want to be seen. That maybe if somebody were to look at you, they could just see through you and know that you had done something so dirty. And so you just wanted to isolate yourself in shame. I have felt that way. There are things in the darkest parts of my memory I wish that I could just forget. I wish that they had never happened. But they did. Have you ever felt that way? My guess is that all of you or at least most of you have at some point. And that's why you're here. Because you know what Christ has bought for you. And maybe perhaps some of you feel that way right now. And you, you feel guilty just singing these songs that we have sang. Because how could I, a sinner who willfully chose to do the things that I did, sing about this great and glorious God. How can a defiled sinner come into the presence of God? That is the subject of Leviticus 11-15. through 15. That is the question that this passage deals with. How can a defiled sinner come into the presence of God? And what this passage simply teaches us is that defiled sinners can't come into the presence of God. So what must they do? Is there any hope for the spiritually dirty? Yes. And if you want to know how to deal with your spiritual uncleanness, I encourage you to listen because this message is for you. The book of Leviticus, as we know, was given to the Israelites as instructions for how they could dwell in the presence of God. And last week we saw how the deaths of Nadab and Abihu had polluted the tabernacle. Now there was two dead bodies in God's holy sanctuary. And these instructions that we will look at today in chapters 11 through 15, covering diet and diseases and discharges, are rooted in God's instruction to Aaron regarding his priestly responsibilities. So look again at Leviticus chapter 10 at what God told Aaron on what he must do as a priest. He said, you need to make a distinction between the holy and the profane and between the unclean and the clean so as to teach the sons of Israel all the statutes which the Lord had spoken. So again, these instructions were given right after the tabernacle had been defiled. I mean, seconds afterwards. That's the context 
for 11 through 15. So let's not separate it from what happened in chapter 10. These are given right afterwards. And they're given to cleanse the tabernacle and also to correct the Israelites lest they defile the tabernacle again. Lest somebody else come into God's presence defiled and experience the same things that Nadab and Abihu experienced. Namely death. God wants no more death on account of people coming into His presence. That's, that's why these chapters are given. And so there are three primary ways that people could be defiled. You could summarize 11 through 15 in these three ways. They could become defiled through diet or through diseases or through discharges. You could add death, but it just isn't addressed in this section. So note especially that none of these defilements are actually the result of a person's sin. See, it's easy as Christians, we want to immediately spiritualize a lot of the Old Testament, and it's tempting to do that. And we know that some of these things are often used as metaphors for sin. But that's not what these chapters are about. It's not being metaphorical. None of these defilements are the result of sin. They're just the result of man's fallen condition. And the way that we're going to look at this text is first we're going to examine the problem that is identified with how they relate to man's fallen condition. And then we'll look at the solution that's given in Scripture. And then finally we'll consider implications for how Christians should live in light of what we learn in this text. But before we actually dive into the text, we should probably define a few terms, uh, particularly holy, clean, and unclean. I have before you the cosmic order of holiness. So to help us understand these words, the term unclean means to not be fit for God's presence. Nadab and Abihu, on account of what they did. It is the place of the Gentiles. It's the the place of the wilderness. To be clean means to be fit for the presence of God. So it's one step closer to God. And the Israelites were generally considered a clean people, but they could either become unclean through defilement or they could become holy through sanctification like the priests. And so to be holy actually means one that belongs to God. These, of course, are the priests and the high priests. And what you see is the nearer one approaches to God, the more one increases in holiness, the nearer they get to life in abundance. But the reverse is also true. The further they get from God, the more deeply death and chaos are experienced in their life. And therefore, God's purpose in the world, we see here, is both to clean and to sanctify. To draw people closer to Him that they might experience life in abundance. That's God's purpose. But Satan's purpose is just the opposite. His purpose is both to profane and then to pollute. To profane means to decrease in cleanliness. 
So let's begin by looking at these problems of defilement addressed in Leviticus. At first, we'll look at the defilement by diet, which really focuses on Israel's need to be separate from the nations. So chapter 11 deals primarily with unclean animals and those animals which could be eaten. And and the Bible doesn't explain why these animals were unclean. Um, So we can only speculate. One suggestion is that it has to do with the created order. That holiness demands that creatures conform to the class in which they are originally created. So for instance, kind of as an explanation... Fish without scales are kind of abnormal. They're an oddity. They violate their division. So they're off limits. Also, creatures were put in the divisions of the sky and of the land and the sea. And so amphibians, they don't really belong to either the water or the land. So they're abnormal. So don't eat them. It also notes creatures that have incompletely cloven hooves. Maybe the reason the birds that are excluded are because they're carnivorous. They eat meat and they're scavengers. So maybe these are the reasons. We, We don't know. Some of that makes sense. But the only explanation that we're given in Scripture for these dietary restrictions is actually in chapter 11, verse 44. So you can turn there. This is what it says. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy. And you shall not make for yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm on the earth. For I am the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy for I am holy. So this tells us the reason actually for the dietary restrictions has to do with holiness Israel was to be seen as separate from the rest of the nations. And Acts chapter 10 confirms that this was the purpose. Because it's in Acts chapter 10 that these dietary restrictions actually get removed. When God tells Peter that he can eat with the Gentiles and he gives them this dream and he says, take and eat. And Peter says, I'm not going to eat this stuff. I've never defiled myself with this food. But Peter is told he now can. And on account of that, he can now eat with Cornelius. Go ahead and turn actually to Acts chapter 10 and notice this. There's a couple of the things that it points out. Now, first of all, in chapter 10, verse 28. He says as he enters into the home of the Gentiles, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That's why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So even for these Gentiles, they would have seen this as shocking that a Jew would come and be willing to eat with them. Because Jews were supposed to isolate themselves, not have fellowship with Gentiles. And then in chapter 11, when Peter tells the other apostles about his vision, notice how they respond. Chapter 11, verse 18. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, 
God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Do you see that? The removal of the dietary restrictions was to separate Israel from the Gentiles. Now that they've been removed, they can have fellowship. So this was the purpose for these restrictions. Not being able to eat with them would go a long way with preventing fellowship to take place. And prior to Acts chapter 10, this regulation needed to be observed. For eating Gentile food would cause defilement. And a defiled person could not enter the presence of God. Lest they be killed like Nadab and Abihu. The second problem addressed is that of diseases and Israel's need for sanitation. Skipped it. Not there. Sorry. We'll just go through this. Diseases. And this entails skin diseases and fungus. Verses, or sorry, chapters 13 through 14. So this, this, again, this chapter deals with skin diseases. It's called leprosy. It actually, the word leprosy is a broad term. It can refer to really any sort of skin disease, also all types Minor swellings, rashes, uh, spots, chronic skin diseases, diseases and scars, burns, diseases on the scalp. And then also fungal-like infections, like mildew, that might infect a part of a house or a piece of clothing. And so we're told that if such a disease was discovered, the priest was pronounced that person unclean. And they would need to actually live outside the camp until that uncleanness was removed. And so if the disease was healed, then they would have to be inspected by a priest. And then the priest, if he saw that it had healed, would tell them to go through various rituals of washing and cleansing and then offer up some sacrifices. But if the disease never healed, that person would have to permanently remain outside the camp in the wilderness, in the realm of the Gentiles. And if a fungus was discovered, like mildew, they would need to observe that material for seven days. And if it spread, the whole material needed to be burned. If it stopped, though, and was isolated, then they would just need to cut out the part that had been infected. And then that must be burned. So, upon contamination, one of two things could happen to that object. It could either be cleansed, or it would be consumed in fire. It could either be bathed, or burned. It could either be sanitized, or incinerated. The point was is that no defilements could remain or else the people themselves would end up being consumed on account of their defilement. And so again, the point of this section is to teach Israel to be conscious of the difference between the clean and the unclean lest they get defiled. 
As he says in Leviticus 15.31, Thus you shall keep the sons of Israel separated from their uncleanness, so that they will not die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is among them. If a person was defiled, if they were unclean and they entered the tabernacle, they would be consumed by God. And so the reason for this isolation was, was to prevent their death. God was actually protecting Israel from the consequences of their defilement. The third problem addressed in this text is that of discharges. And this exposes the reality that just the natural processes of the human body could cause defilement. The third kind of defilement considers both childbirth and other bodily discharges. See, childbirth is included along with the other discharges, not because there was anything wrong with having a children. In fact, that was a great thing. It was a good thing. But because other fluids would be expelled upon childbirth, and that would bring about defilement. So upon experiencing a bodily discharge, a period of separation followed by ritual cleansing, was necessary before a person could enter again into the presence of God. And what needs to be emphasized about each of these defilements, these discharges, is that they were nobody's fault. In fact, every person in Israel most likely would experience this kind of defilement through discharge at some point in their life. At some point, everybody's going to Be defiled. And yet, nonetheless, these discharges rendered somebody unclean. And so really what this section teaches us is that even our physical bodies are the problem. So it's not just sin that can, that prevents somebody from coming into the presence of God. Just our physical Reality, our physical weakness, our broken condition prevents us from coming into the presence of God. Again, this didn't mean anybody was sinful, but that our bodies are prone to uncleanness due to their physicality. And so, in summary, each of these kinds of defilements, diets, discharges, and diseases highlight a problem that men are faced with that needs to be overcome. Influence of pagan neighbors. Diseases and infections that need cleansing. And defilement that just comes as a result of possessing a physical body. Which begs for a solution. Well, the solution that's offered here in Leviticus for these defilements is sacrifices. They would offer sacrifices or there'd be separation followed by a sacrifice or there'd be cleansing involved, ritual cleansing. But if the Israelites couldn't even eat with Gentiles, was there any hope for a Gentile to ever come into the presence of God? No. 
There was none. But what, what about the Israelite that contracted leprosy? What if, it, what if it was a disease that they could never get rid of? That never went away? Are you telling me they would permanently have to live outside the camp? Yes. Permanently. What if they were just a 14-year-old boy? What if it was your 7-year-old daughter? What if it was the wife that you would live with your whole life and she got some awful disease? You're telling me they would have to live outside a camp until they were cleansed? Yes. Absolutely. That's what it's saying. Well, what about the person who by some freak accident or by some genetic abnormality has a continual discharge of bodily fluid, like a hemorrhaging of blood? Are you telling me that they would never be able to enter God's presence even though they had never sinned or done anything to bring this upon them? Yes. They're defiled. They could not enter the presence of a holy God. You've got to be kidding me. You're telling me there's no, nothing that can be done besides this? There's no hope? What if this was your kid? What if this was your wife? What if this was your grandmother? The Bible does speak of a greater hope. Surely our griefs, illnesses, He Himself bore, and our sorrows He carried. Yet we esteemed Him stricken of God and afflicted. But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. And by His scourging, we are healed. There was no way for man to be permanently healed of his diseases except Christ. That's why God sent his son into the world. And Jesus, who was the son of God, had his glory veiled so somebody could come into the presence of the son of God and not be consumed by His glory, even if they were defiled. Jesus could touch defiled people. And not just touch them, He could heal them. And ultimately, He could permanently heal them through the cross. Consider how Christ was the solution to each of these problems facing man. First of all, Christ eliminates this need for separation. Matthew 12, 21 quotes the prophecy that in his name, the Gentiles shall hope. I mean, let that land on you. 
If you were a Gentile and could not come into the presence of God. Let's say you had a demon-possessed daughter. And you heard that there was an Israelite rabbi who would travel around and he could heal Israel. He could cast out demons just by saying a word. And you had a daughter that was demon-possessed. But you knew she's a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. What hope could I have? But in all of your desperation, you go to that man. Because what else, do you, what else can you do? Of course, this happened. Flip to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, verse 24. And Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of a Syrophoenician race. And she kept asking him to cast the demon out from her daughter. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, yes, Lord. But even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. Jesus could heal Gentiles. And he also permanently healed the breach that existed between Jews and Gentiles. Ephesians 2, 12 through 13 says, Remember, at that time, speaking to Gentiles, Gentiles, You were separated from Christ. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope. And you were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If you are a Gentile, these words should be the most precious words to your ears. Because throughout history, unless a person was an Israelite, they could not enjoy the presence of God. But now we can. Because of Christ. Christ also cleansed people for their leprosy. Mark 1 40 to 42. You know the story. A leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean and move with compassion. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, Catch this. I am willing. Be cleansed. 
And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. See, Jesus didn't just cleanse the physical leprosy though, right? He cleansed that man from all defilement. He would say to the lepers, your faith has saved you. You are forgiven. He cleanses us from all defilement. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. After listing various sins of the Gentile, Paul, Paul declares to the Corinthians, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So Christ has not just brought about physical cleansing while he was here. He has brought about permanent physical cleansing. Do you feel spiritually dirty? Christ can cleanse you from your sin. He not only cleanses us, but sanctifies us, makes us holy, permanently holy. So much so that even the Holy Spirit, God Himself, indwells believers permanently. We've become the tabernacle. That's how holy you've become if you trust in Christ. What about the problem of our physical bodies that are prone to defilement? Remember Mark chapter 5 and this story? Beginning verse 25, a woman had had a hemorrhage for 12 years. Some of you here aren't even 12 years old yet. A hemorrhage for 12 years. And it endured much at the hands of many physicians. Who knows what that means? And it spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. And after hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you and you ask who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction." Rather than being consumed in the flames for touching God while defiled, she was healed. Permanently healed. Again, 
Christ, because he was veiled in a human body, not only healed people by his presence, he could heal them from their sin. And he did this by taking their infirmities upon himself when he bore the wrath of God on the cross. And because of this, he is the permanent solution for all of these defilements. Remember what 1 Peter 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away because it is reserved in heaven for you. Christ has dealt with The whole of our physical problem. Yes, our bodies are a problem. Our physical bodies can't come into the presence of God while defiled naturally. But Christ has solved that problem through the resurrection. It's beautiful. Well, since a defiled people cannot be in God's presence... We also, as Christians, need to take heed of what these implications are on our own life as those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Let's consider Christian separation. One of the implications of the fact that Israelites need to be separated from Gentiles is because of the defiling influence that the Gentiles would have. But likewise, we as Christians can also be influenced by the world around us for evil. And so this teaches us that we are to be in the world while not being of the world. We need to reach the world without becoming like the world. As James 4, 4 says, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.22? Didn't he say, I have become all things to all men so that I might by all means save some. How do we balance those two truths? Well, the point that he's making is that Christians need to be willing to give up whatever it takes that might be a stumbling block for somebody coming to know Christ. We need to be willing to sacrifice our comforts and our present, present, uh, sorry, preferences so that we might reach unbelievers with the gospel. Likewise, we need to reach the world without becoming like the world. We need to avoid embracing its values and its ambitions as we seek to build relationships with those who do not, not know Christ. So that we can tell them of this amazing news of the kind of Savior that we worship. Because He has brought about that kind of cleansing in our own life. Though we felt foul and defiled and dirty because of the things that we have done, He has washed us. White as snow. We want to tell others about that. But we don't want to embrace their values. Secondly, there's implications of the diseases in Christian sanitation. Since Christians have been cleansed, we need to seek to keep ourselves clean. 
Flip to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. 2 Corinthians 7. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. His point is, you gotta, even though you've been cleansed and you are clean before God, you need to keep making yourself clean too. Having been cleansed by the blood of Christ, we need to strive to keep ourselves clean, perfecting holiness. Well, what of discharges though? We've already noted that Christ was the solution in because of our physical bodies and the defilement that comes about by them, because He has provided a future resurrection. Well, that truth in and of itself has massive implications for us now. Because it instructs us that our hope is not primarily in this life. It's in the future. Paul summarizes this well in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are seen, not seen are eternal. Though Satan seeks to profane and pollute us, God seeks to cleanse and sanctify us. For a defiled person cannot be in God's presence. They must be cleansed. If a defiled person enters the presence of God, Without being cleansed, they will be consumed. Brothers and sisters, this is why hell is real. I want to make just a personal appeal to any of you who have not yet trusted in Christ as your Savior. If you die tonight, you will enter the presence of God defiled. And there will be only one fate for you. The difference between Nadab and Abihu is just one of time. Their being consumed was temporary. Your being consumed is eternal. This is as real as it gets. I don't say that to be manipulative or to be threatening. I say it because it's real. So ask yourself, have you been cleansed by the blood of Christ? Do you recognize that you are spiritually defiled? And do you desire to be cleansed? To have the consequences of that sin to be removed from you? 
Do you desire to be made clean from every defilement of body and spirit? Well, if you do, I want to close with the words from an old spiritual. Have you been to Jesus for his cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in his grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? If not, then lay aside the garments that have been stained by sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Because there's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Let's pray. Father, You know all of our hearts. Your eyes are like a flaming fire. You see into the depths of our souls. You know our condition. And Lord, if there is anyone here who is in that condition of being defiled, that you'd help them see it. That you'd help them to see the horror and the hopelessness that exists outside of Christ so that they would trust in you and be cleansed from every defilement of soul and of flesh. Father, we also just give you thanks because of what what the blood of Christ accomplished. For we all have done foul things. We all deserve eternal punishment. But God, who is rich in mercy, has saved us, not on the basis of our works, but only on the basis of faith and the work of His Son. Bring about faith that every soul might know the amazing power in the blood of the Lamb. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.